want to again say thank you to the worship team, the choir, and uh, perhaps especially this morning to especially this morning to Ethan and Alyssa that um, they have served well here these last several years, and they have in fact helped us as a church to worship. So it's a place, it's, a, it's a, just one little example of where you can see the service of someone has helped others to worship. Could we say has increased worship to God? You say, that's great for somebody who can sing, somebody can play an instrument. But what about somebody like Bob? Or you? Well, let me remind you of something else. Think back to the summer. Vacation Bible camp. Kind of like Awana on Thursday night, the place is crawling with kids. And there was a project in the midst of Vacation Bible Camp. It was a project to raise money for a playground in Tyre, Lebanon. There in the city of Tyre, there weren't any children's playgrounds or not a thing. And so the church, a church had, had property. They had a space where tr- playground could be put if they only had some playground equipment. And so Vacation Bible Camp raised funds for that playground equipment. And there you see it all purchased and installed and set up. And, and when all the equipment was put in place, there was still one thing lacking. There was this hard clay dirt on the ground. So it's a hard-packed surface most of the time, except when it rains. And then it's a slippery, muddy surface. Not ideal for playground, but you know, they don't have playgrounds to pick and choose from, so you take what you can get, right? But, but Scotty was wondering, well, what could we do with this? How can we, you know, there are no soft wood chips that you can go and get and have trucked in. There are no soft, rubberized playground mats because there's no playgrounds. And so... Well, there's sand. Boy, there's a whole beach full of sand, but you cannot go and take the sand. You cannot buy the sand. You cannot pay to have it delivered. That's not allowed. The sand is for the beach, thank you. So Scotty was, well, what should we do? He was was praying about this. Lord, how can we finish this? And he was reminded, the beach used to come years ago. There was a time when the beach came right to where the church was. And so he thought, I wonder... And so he hired somebody to come and help him, and they, and they dug down, and under, under several inches of that hard clay soil, they found beach. And so they dug up the dirt and put it to the side. They pulled out the sand. They put the dirt back, and they have nice, sandy beach playground to go with the equipment. The playground that the kids provided, because they begged and pleaded for any money you had that they could bring to vacation Bible camp that week in order to purchase this. And the church there praises God for what he's provided. Some of these kids might think, wow, God, through Christians far away, has given us this. God notices us. That Operation Christmas Child shoebox to a child said, God noticed me. 
and ascribing that care, that nearness of God to them, ascribing that to him, the glories of his name and character, that is worship. The things that you do, the ways that you give, ways that you serve, they have the opportunity to be a catalyst, to provoke worship here, near, and also far away, more than we could imagine. Now, in First Corinthians, rather, Second Corinthians, chapter nine, Paul is continuing this uh, project of the churches all through Asia and Greece and Achaia, all through that region. They have been gathering and offering to take back to Christians in Jerusalem who are very poor, who've been ostracized, who've been shunned, shunned, who've been expelled from the economic society because they dare to claim the name of Jesus. And so the other churches are, are gathering to send something back to them. He said in chapter 8 that even Macedonia, in the midst of its own persecution, the church here, they gave themselves first to God and then to us by the will of God. And they have given, given what they had and beyond what they could afford. And they have been, he's going to say, encouraged to do so. They wanted to join in because they heard from Paul what it was that the Corinthian church had pledged to do. Well, if they can give to that, why can't we give to that too? So somebody else is serving over there in Corinth had an impact on the churches in Macedonia, even in the midst of their difficulties, so that they would together help the churches over in Jerusalem. So what Paul is, is explaining and reminding the Corinthians of here is the same thing that, that God would remind us of now and again, that what you and I do matters. Sometimes we wonder, well, what do I have? What can I do really? What difference does it make what I do or in terms of financial giving, what I give? What difference can that make? This chapter encourages us to, to say, look what God will do through you. That like, like a seed sown into the ground, God will use what he has given you. What do we have that we didn't receive? And God will use what he's given us, not only for his glory, but to stir up worship. Maybe near to us, maybe far from us, because God is worthy of worship. So he's, he's reminding, he's stirring up the Corinthians in this project, this giving of, of uh, support or help for the churches in Jerusalem. He's reminding them, he's, he's uh, stirring them back up to something they'd started to do a year earlier, but some other things have gotten in the way. There have been some personality conflicts. There have been some, some uh, personal issues that have developed. And uh, easily those things can distract us away from what matters more. And so this chapter is one of those that refocuses, that pulls us back and reminds us of the bigger picture of what difference does it make? What I do. And turns that around and says, look what God will do through you. I invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you're using the church Bible in front of you, I think we're on around page 968. 2 Corinthians and chapter 9. And he reminds them, first of all, that their willingness to commit to this has been contagious. And so, so because they have provoked others, don't, don't 
Don't uh, not follow through now. Your follow through, your, your fulfillment of what you'd committed to, what you'd, what you'd planned to do before, don't let that fall aside now because your willingness has been an encouragement to others. Your willingness has been contagious. Look at chapter 9 from verse 1. Now it's superfluous. I don't even have to say to write to you about the ministry for the saints For I know your readiness. I'm not giving you instructions again so that you would know what the needs are in Jerusalem. That's not the point. You know that. For for I I boast about your readiness to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready. As I said, you would be. Otherwise, if some, if some Macedonians come with me and, and find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an as exaction or a, a mandatory compelled gift at the end, a, a scrambling around to gather it up once Paul and the others arrive. He says, let your willingness be contagious. Your zeal has stirred up most of them in verse 2. So don't fail to follow through now. Their commitment encouraged others to join in. You, can I uh, just right up, right up front be practical about something? Brush Prairie has a culture like any other church. One of the intriguing aspects of our church culture is people don't sign up for things in advance. Now we go back and forth about why is that really? Probably because there are so many good opportunities that you don't know which to choose from. But, but we often will tend, something's going on. Let's talk men's roundup. Okay, it comes right out at the end of summer. Guys are not sure. Guys are not here. Guys are on the, on the, on the river and the woods and the mountains. But it's hard to get guys to sign up for men's roundup. And it's a great deal. But it takes us, we, we, we like to sign up for things late. We don't like to commit early. And probably because we don't want to sign up and then not follow through. And we don't know what else will come, and we might have to, you know, might get a better offer. So we hesitate to sign up, and maybe somebody else will probably do that. Somebody else, I I don't know what it is in each different, but we don't sign up for things in advance. We're hesitant. The Corinthian church did commit a year earlier. They signed up in advance. And with the signing up in advance goes with the following through afterwards. So certainly there's something here about go ahead and sign up. Now I know you're going to quote James back to me. You're going to say, but James says, don't say, well, we're going to go here, we're going to go there, we're going to do this and that. Okay, that's business plans that we hold in open hands. If the Lord wills. He said, instead say, and James does not say, instead you should say, well, I don't know what we're going to do. We'll just see. No, that is not what James says. James says, instead, you should say this. If the Lord wills, then we will do this and that. There is a plan. There is intentionality. It's just held in open hands before the Lord. That's your out. You see, you can commit. And as long as you can then convince the rest of us, that, no, 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 God, God has clearly showed me that I can't follow through with that. I need to do this instead. You know, because up, uh, um, Tim and Diane, up, they, they, she committed to Sunday school director. Now what do they do? They just pop off to China. 
Well, God clearly led them to that. That is, if the Lord wills. We'll hold that in open hands, right? So we, we, we can commit up in advance of what God would have us to do, and then we need to follow through. You know, it's hard to inspire others when you're not in the midst of doing yourself. They have inspired the Macedonians. That's why it's so important that they follow through. I saw Charlie. Charlie, there's Charlie. Charlie, you know, I, I must confess, I have never inspired anybody to be a firefighter. I never have. Why would I? I've never inspired anybody to be an airplane pilot. I was in the Air Force, but I've never inspired anybody else to fly planes. I never flew planes. I don't inspire people to do something that I'm not doing. You want to be an encouragement to others. We're supposed to encourage one another and to provoke one another to love and good deeds. Now, you, now you've got at least part of that, right? You're good at provoking people, okay? But it says to provoke one another to love and good deeds, and you do that by being in the midst of what? Love and good deeds. See how that works? We inspire others in what we have given ourselves to. Show me something worth committing myself to, people will tell you. Your service is more than just what you get done. It's an encouragement for others to join in. You know, I should never be asking for help in any ministry from up here. That should be flowing out of out there based on what we're, my, our opportunity from up here ought to be just, hey, hey, letting you know there's an opportunity here and you better hurry because the crowd's going to go after it because you are, you've committed yourself to ministry and where there's opportunities, we're going to go for it. And we're going to invite others in. We're going to encourage others to join us in the midst of it. That our serving, our giving, and this is a chapter about a financial giving project, and we'll get more to that towards the end. But, so, but I want to talk about that in terms of giving ourselves and then what we have, okay? That, that our giving goes further. The giving of ourselves, our serving and our giving goes further than what we know. It impacts and encourages people beyond what you and I realized. Paul says, these Macedonians whom you've never met, you have stirred them up. By your willingness. Also, it talks about Paul's boasting to them. You know what that suggests? That Paul has not been talking them down to others in the midst of all oh, those troubles in Corinth. Everything is not um, rainbows and puppy dogs in Corinth. There are some problems going on in Corinth. And Paul's been in the midst of that this last year. And yet, in the midst of all that, he's telling the Macedonians, oh, yeah, yeah, they, they pledge themselves to this. I'm sure they're going to follow through. Paul's boasting upon them. If they don't live up to that promise, it's going to be discouraging to others. Let me give you an example of that. We have invested as a church in the Freedom House ministry. It's a, it's a transition ministry. The people that, that, that have, been, uh, have, have been abusing substances, they've, they're battling with addictions, and they, they will commit themselves into the Freedom House ministry, and it's, it's a year-long discipleship process. And uh, these guys have been in our church service before, and they, they have shared some of their testimonies. They join our men's group now and again. We'll hear some of their testimonies. We have something special going on. We'll invite them to join us in it. We have linked with them. We support that ministry as a church. And, and what would it be? What effect would it have on us if, uh, let's say, sometime in the future we learned that um, people at Freedom House had been 
skimming money off the top. That gifts that we thought were being given for the good of these men who were committed to, to getting their lives clean and walking with the Lord in discipleship, that actually those funds were being used to enrich somebody else in, 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 um, in improper ways. That would discourage us. We wouldn't want to keep supporting that. In fact, we would, we would be cautious, we would be hesitant to support the next kind of ministry like that because we would say, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. I'm not going to be taken advantage of again. And so what we, we do with those that we, 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 are, we are bound together in a partnership with others that uh, the success, the fruitfulness, the prospering of, of, of the missionaries that we partnership, both here in our community and around the world, their success is our encouragement. We pray for them, not only for that ministry's own benefit, but we are tied up with it. We are an encouragement to them, and they are an encouragement to us. We provoke and encourage one another, and if we don't fulfill our part, that's a discouragement to others as well. Paul is writing to the Corinthians here. He's describing this. He's reminding this. He's reminding them of the impact they've had because he, he wants to encourage them to take the next step because he knows that affects others as well. And I wonder, who have you encouraged to take another step in terms of walking with Christ. We've said that this authentic discipleship thing, this is about relationship. This is about life on life. This is one and another. This is living together. Who have you encouraged lately to take another step in their walk with the Lord, in their trusting him, in their giving themselves in some way in service to, in, in service to the Lord and to others? Who have you encouraged the way Paul is taking the time to encourage this Corinthian church? Also, he's encouraging them to guard their own good example, to stick with it, to follow it through. It's easy over time that a privilege becomes an obligation. Look at verse 5 again. So that they may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction, a compulsory thing. Easily a privilege becomes an obligation. Think of it. God, his greatest work is not creation. God's greatest work is taking this fallen creation and in Christ Jesus, that God himself takes on humanity, limits himself to humanity, doesn't hold on his, his privileges of deity, but God the Son comes among us and lives among us and with us and as us and dies for us. Takes the guilt of humanity on himself. God redeems. This is bigger than Exodus. This is bigger than the Passover out of Egypt. This is huge. This is, this is global. This is worldwide. This is throughout time now. The redemption of humanity in Christ Jesus. And he's taken that greatest work and he's put it in our hands. Not angels, but us. Not merely the apostles, not merely one nation of people as he worked through Israel in the Old Testament, but he's given it to the likes of you and me. What a privilege we have been given. That we are the ones to carry. As he says in chapter 5, he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. He's given us and us only this ministry of reconciliation that this is all privilege. Our lives poured in that direction it's not obligated. It's not, oh, come on, it's on us, and we got to do it. 
No, God has invited us into his greatest work of eternity. That's reconciling fallen humanity, made in his image, back to himself. That is, 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 is in our hands, and what are we going to do with it? Are we going to take what God gives us? Are we going to pour it to that end? Are we going to plant those seeds, or are we going to hold them? You know, every farmer and every harvest, in a traditional sense, you take the harvest, and, and out of the harvest comes the food that you're going to eat, the, food that you're going, the grain that you're going to sell, and also some of the wheat is used as the seed for the next harvest. And it goes on, and it goes on. And every year... A farmer could say, I'm hungry. I'm going to eat a little more, which means I will have less to plant. But I'm hungry now. I'm going to eat a little more. And Paul reminds here, he says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. We have to sow if we're going to grow. If we're going to join in, if we're going to participate in this grand work of redemption, it's going to be after the same pattern of Jesus. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Jesus says, if anyone would be my disciple, let him take up, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. It's going to be his way and it's going to be on those similar terms. That's where we'll walk with him. That's, that's where we'll know him. We're going to have to sow if we're going to grow. Those are the terms. That's where fruitfulness comes from. Again, from verse 6. Sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided. Okay, he's, now he's going to take that sowing analogy, that agriculture example, and he's going to apply it into giving in this project. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God is going to give you what you need to fulfill what he puts before you to do. Hudson Taylor said, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Verse 9, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. God will not only give you what you need in terms of treasure or talent in order to devote it to him, but then he will turn around, he'll bless what it is that he gave you in order to use for him, and then he makes it into something greater. And at the end, we look forward to a crown of righteousness for our faithfulness and our sacrifice. And yet any crown that I would get, any crown that you would receive will be of God's grace because what did we have that we were not given? What did I have to devote to his service that God himself did not give me? My very life's breath and strength, any skills or talents that I have, any, any, any resources or treasure that I have that I can share, all of that was given to me. I didn't come into the world with any of it. And so God will, God will multiply it. You need to sow in order to reap. I remember the story of a farmer. It could have been 
somebody like. If you're driving out in eastern Washington, you drive through the Palouse country this time of year, and it is beautiful. You have these rolling fields with different crops that are different colors, and it's just gorgeous, just before harvest. I guess actually it's too late now. You missed it. Sorry. But it was beautiful. It was lovely. And imagine stopping along one of those fields because you catch the farmer there on his tractor and he's coming alongside the fence so you stop. You you pull over and you catch his eye and he climbs down off his tractor and he comes on over and you say, man, God has really blessed your field. He says, God has blessed the field, huh? He said, yeah, look at it. He says, yeah, but you should have seen it when God had it on his own. Now, what the farmer is suggesting, he's not saying, yeah, God sent the rain. God provides fruitfulness within the soil, but God has used me. And if the farmer had not sown, the fields would not have grown. Well, they would have had weeds. They had all kinds of stuff. But God has given us to intentionally cultivate and thus bear fruit for his glory. If you sow, God has chosen that he will bless it, he will multiply. That quote from Psalm 112, it describes the righteous man and how he faithfully gives out of what he has to others and the effect that that has, that it continues. His righteousness, his righteous act of giving will endure forever. It lingers on after him. I know when we read the quote alone without going to Psalm 12, it almost sounds like it's describing God. And isn't it fun? When something that God would call you and I to do sounds like God himself. Because that's what he's doing. He's working his likeness in us. But, but this, this, that whole psalm is about the, about the righteous person who, who gives what they have. And, and in this case, also distributing feely, sharing with the poor like the Corinthians are going to do for the poor in Jerusalem. And their righteousness endures forever. What he's saying is this. What you give, what you do, how you serve will echo and reverberate long after you all the way into eternity. It'll make a difference. It'll change things in ways that you and I cannot fully realize. God will give us what we need to glorify him, and then God will take it and use it. He will use it, in fact, to increase, to cultivate worship. Look at verse 12. For the ministry of this service, this giving project that he's been talking about, is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of the service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. And while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. I want you to see your act of service or your giving as increasing the rightful worship of God. There is not enough worship of God in this world. Too many people live as if God was not. John Piper has well said that missions exist because worship does not. And that the goal of a mission is worship. Do you buy that? So that in the cause of mission, people come to save you. The goal of mission is not to populate heaven. 
The goal of mission is to spread the gospel that people might believe and be redeemed and having been redeemed, they would worship and God is worthy of worship. The goal of mission is worship. Mission exists because worship does not, okay? Well, how about this? Then the goal, oh, we're gonna have an offering a little bit longer in the service. I mean, a good giving message like this, you can't not have an offering at the end of it, right? We do that every Sunday, relax. I'll talk more about that before we get there. But the goal of offering is worship. And offering exists because worship does not. See how that works? That what we would give of ourselves in that offering, maybe you use that communication in your card, you said, I commit myself to this ministry, or I'd love to know more. How could I serve in this way or in that area? And as you offer yourselves, like the well-known missionary John Moffat, as a young child in a, in a small Scottish church way out in the middle of nowhere, hearing from a missionary from Africa, the offering came by and he took the plate and he put it down the floor and he stood in it. And everybody thought he was being impertinent. And what he was saying was, I don't have any money, I don't have any coins, but I give myself. I want to go and be used by God. And he did. And he was. When we would give of ourselves in worship, God will use that to raise up worship, to provoke as a catalyst for increasing worship. In the shoeboxes, that child who says, thank you, God, you noticed me. You know I'm here. That is worship. I'd encourage you to make a list of the church's ministries and how those ministries, you know, that's another good use of your bulletin. Lots of good uses for your bulletin. Do you know that? Another good use, you can use this as a prayer guide. Look what's happening this week. And this is not just a whole, a whole summary of different kind of opportunities you might go to, things you could attend. You know, the opportunities to receive spiritual goods and services. No, use it like a prayer guide. Pray for these things that are happening. How about this? Use that as a catalyst to provoke in your own thinking, how might God Provoke increased worship through each of the things that are mentioned in that bulletin. And you know what? When you've all done and when you spend hours on it, when you come up with all kinds of great ideas, you haven't even scratched the surface. Go back to work. Name some more. And when you've really pressed into it, you may be getting closer, but not really. Because the promise of God out of Ephesians chapter 3 is that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly, not just a few more, but God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could ask or even imagine. So we can so confidently, knowing that we have no idea how grand the harvest is going to be, but I can promise this, it's going to be bigger than you think. All right. Our serving, our giving declares our faith in Christ. Verse 13, your submission to God that flows out of your own confession of the gospel that's expressed then as a gift toward others. That sacrificial giving for the sake of others which follows in the pattern of Jesus who sacrificially gave himself for me, that is gospel living and living it out for the sake of others. Imagine people in India or Lebanon who are amazed 
that there are Christians sacrificing for others, giving what they could keep for themselves and giving it away instead, being transformed in that likeness of Christ out of this immoral, materialistic, godless, hedonistic culture, which is America. And they know what it's like. They've seen our TV. And imagine out of this, this is like Corinth, and out of a place like this, that kind of generosity comes and it builds a church here or it touches a life there. Look what God can do. He would even use us. We speak about Christmas jazz because we generally think people are, we, we speak about Jesus in the midst of Christmas jazz. That night, we're going to say something about Jesus there because not that we want other people to agree with us, because we genuinely think they're missing something, the best thing about Christmas, and we want them to know God's own gift for us and for them, that they could have the same peace and reconciliation with God, the acceptance before God through Jesus that we have. We want them to know that, that God has sent a Savior, Christ the Lord, that that's what Christmas is really about. Just think, your invitation your conversation around the table, your friendly welcome of somebody that night could be used by God in the process of causing someone to sing glory to the newborn king for the very first time. We don't know how God will use what we would do, but we do know that he invites us to sow abundantly in order to reap abundantly, cultivating an increasing worship of God who is worthy. I want us to step into this chapter in a very real, in a getting as close to this chapter as we can. And so, it being annual business meeting Sunday, I said, well, what would it be like if in the midst of our business meeting, I proposed a motion? And I thought, well, let me run it by my, our, our elder chairman, our finance team chairman first. And they said, yeah, let's do that. And so I, 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 I have effectively already proposed that motion. You're going to vote on it in the business meeting, but I understand votes are a dollar each. <laughs> the motion is this. Our giving, and it's great to talk about these, these chapters as we come to it, and the Bible says something about giving, and yet we're talking about this not at the point where well, the budget's down, you know, getting close to the end of the year, and we haven't met our, you know, we really need to, you know, kind of gather in towards the end of the year, make a strong finish. That's not the, that's not the point at all. In fact, our, our, our budget needs for a four-week month are about $38,000. All the ministry of the church, everything rolled together. About $38,000. Now, in the first two Sundays of the month, your giving has already been about $33,000 in the first two weeks. So, according to the math, I'm not my son the engineer, but according to the math, that suggests to me that we're probably going to be over that need for the month according to the budget. And so my motion is this, that we devote anything that's given this month that is above our four-week budget need for a month, we devote that to those missionaries that we were talking about, that our mission team will allocate that as a special end-of-the-year offering for those missionaries. And they'll allocate it according to the needs that they're aware of and the needs of the families and so forth. And we'll leave that with them. They, they, they're much closer to the needs than we are. But uh, we, will, we will sow abundantly and trust that God will bring an abundant harvest.
It's, it's a wonderful opportunity to be able to step into giving. God, what would you have us to do? And you know there's a selfish part in this. Do you remember the story about when Israel came back from Babylon? And they came back from Babylon because King Cyrus, the Persian, after, after Cyrus and the Persians had, had, um, had, had wiped out Babylon and taken over, Cyrus told the Jews in Babylon, he says, I want you to go back and I want you to rebuild your temple because there when you rebuild your temple, I want you to pray for me. Wouldn't it be wonderful that out of giving here, our missionaries are so blessed. We don't know all the ins and outs of the needs that they are facing. And yet they see, God, you knew. And God, you provoked our, our church to, to remember us and to send this. And you have provided for us. You have met our needs. God, we thank you for your provision. God, we thank you for that church. God, would you prosper Brush Prairie? Would you continue to grow them in a close walk and relate? Don't you want our missionaries praying for you? I mean, we're supposed to pray for our missionaries, right? Uh, okay, but I want our missionaries praying for us. I want to be linked together, their fruitfulness and our fruitfulness, that we pray for one another. I covet their prayers. <laughs> we'll buy them if we have to. That's not what we're talking about, though. But we want to cultivate increasing worship to God. You see it? And we have an opportunity to do just like what Paul was doing here toward Corinth for Christians in Jerusalem. And we'll do it from Brush Prairie for Christians in Lebanon, in India, in Jordan, the Regsdales in Vienna, although they're moving to someplace, someplace stable and, more, and, 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 and safer like Cyprus, uh, the Platts, Schroeders, the, um, and the list goes on. Uh, that uh, we, would, um, we would care for these and so stir worship there and fruitfulness there that God would be glorified. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for such an opportunity. Lord, this is, this is exactly what you have said, that you provide for us in order that you might give through us to others. And that would result in increased worship and praise to you. That grateful hearts would overflow in others also trusting the Lord, trusting your provision, and others even trusting Jesus as Savior as a result. Lord, increase worship in us that you might increase worship through us. Lord, use this time now as we reflect and we think about an offering, we think about what we would give. Father, may it be said of us as was said of others. First, they gave themselves to God and then to this need according to your will for each one. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>